Episode 17 of the Paul George Show welcomes Lance Struther. The Lord, for some reason, the last six months has uh, put me in similar situations that I found myself in with this gentleman whose name was Keith. He is the son of some parents. He's the father of some children. He uh, He's the widow of a deceased wife. And um, that when people walk by him uh, and ignore him, that uh, it makes him feel like they don't recognize that he's a person. The Paul George Show. Welcome to the Paul George Show. Today we're discussing the personal dignity of the homeless, finding God through sport, and Paul's career as a songwriter. And now from Christ Our King Studios in Lafayette, Louisiana, here's Paul. Welcome to the Paul George Show. Great to be with you this new year, first show of the new year, and I have Adam Conk in studio with me. Adam, how's it going? It's going well, Paul. Hey, hey, hey. Good, happy, man. Did you have a good holiday, year. good Christmas? Oh my goodness, Paul. It's it, it was the time of my life. Yeah. Do you have like that that old aunt that gives you the same pair of socks every year, or is that just like? <laughs> well, that old aunt is actually my mother. Who, if she's <laughs> listening, I love you, mom. But she normally gives some intentionally cheesy gifts. Right. Which this year was a Christmas tie that sang songs when you pressed it. Wow. I see had a snowman. You, I see where you get it from. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what you're talking about. Paul. I know exactly what I'm talking about. Actually. <laughs> what about you, man? I get no cheesy gifts. None. No. No. Now my grandmother, um, you know, she's she's old now, really old. I am praying for her. But anyway, uh, every year she would give a pair of socks with a two dollar bill inside of it. Hey, hey. And it was like the most exciting Wait, thing. A two dollar, like the a, rare two dollar. The rare two dollar bill. Oh that was the tradition. And did you save them? Yeah, I've, I saved a few, but there were times where I was really in need. <laughs> Those times where I, I was really in need. I was at a gas station, and all I had was that $2 bill. <laughs> and I had to, had to dip into <laughs> to that, old, that old $2 bill. I felt bad Empty about the it. Sock. I felt yeah. bad about it. So anyway, that was, that was her tradition, which was kind of cool. The yeah. socks just got thrown away. Oh, away. Into your drawer. Into my drawer. <laughs> Yeah. So this new year is exciting because everybody likes to begin anew. And I think obviously every day we should begin anew. But it is a new year and I'm beginning anew. Do you have like a, um, have you thought about this, maybe a mantra for the new year? I'm going to be, I'm going to not try to control everything in my life. Okay. So that's a mantra. Just let it happen. Okay. Let it happen. Let it happen. Mm -hmm. That's a good mantra. Thanks, man. Some people call it like a it. like a tat verse. Like if you were to get like a verse oh. or a mantra tattooed, just on for this you. year. Well, not for this year, for life. So, but for this year, just Hakuna Matata. Hakuna Matata. Yeah. Do you even know what that means? No worries. <laughs> no worries. So let go. That that's your thing. Surrender. Yeah. What? Just yeah. Just let it go, man. Let it be. Well, your personality kind of seems that way anyway. But I, but because I work on it, because oh. I have this little bend to the opposite. Okay, so. So if you could get a tattoo, one tattoo with a mantra, it would be Kuna Matata? Yeah. I mean, maybe with like angel wings around it, so it's slightly religious. <laughs> You'd put a scripture verse yeah, attached yeah. to a Kuna Matata. Yeah, I'll put it right under that, you know, all things work together for the good of those who love God. Oh, okay. Right next to Kuna Matata. I see, I see where you're going with this. Same idea, just a little more noble. Yeah, okay. So it's a tat verse. So I, I'm not suggesting that people get a tat verse. Do you verse. have one? Uh, I do have a tad verse, yeah. Yeah, but I, that's it. I'm done. You know, so like, it wasn't for us? this year. It's from a long time. But it is my mantra. But but each year I try to think of like, 
you know, mantra, something that I really want to work on in my life. But, you know, the one that I have is whoever's in Christ's new creation. Mm. The old has passed away. Behold, new things will come. Right? Right. Like new $2 bills in new, your socks. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So that that is like my life's sort of mantra. Okay. Right? Do you have a specific one for this year? No, but I do like this mantra that this woman got. She walked into a tattoo parlor. Okay. It's an old woman, 81 years old, and she got a tattoo. Now, first of all, wow. 81 walking into a tattoo parlor. Props, Granny. It's hysterical. I don't know if you have to like pull your skin to like make oh it. Oh my gosh. <laughs> make it tight. <laughs> okay. No, like, I, I don't know how that works. It sounds painful. Um, I don't know how, how it works for old people, but yeah. she walks in. And here's what she gets. She gets a tattoo that says, uh, don't euthanize me. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Talk about a mantra. Talk about a statement, right? Yeah. Right in your uh, medical instructions right there on your body. Right on your body. Uh, which is crazy that in, in today's time, right, uh, that someone, uh, in particularly an elderly person, has to make a statement like that. Like this fear that uh, as, as you get old, that uh, you're worthless, you have no meaning, and that uh, you know someone can just you know put you put you to sleep, put you to death because mm-hmm. because of that. So she got this, you know, the the tattoo verse is don't don't euthanize me. And in part, in part, it's funny because the old woman walks in the tattoo parlor, um, and that seems like the beginning of a joke, right? Right, but it ain't funny. But it's not funny what she's getting. And uh, you and I have talked about this off air, just. The, the fact that uh, this whole idea, uh, it's really not even an idea, it's, an, it, it's reality of assisted suicide. Yeah. Um, that's, that's growing in numbers in our country, the amount of states that are, that are legalizing the fact that you can um, kill yourself or someone else can kill you, assist in, in doing so. Yeah, and it's scary because like this woman got this tattoo because we would all assume because we're red-blooded Americans that Mm -hmm. even if this was legal, I would still have some options. But in other countries where it's been legalized and matured, uh, no. Actually, some physicians in certain cases will decide for you whether you will die or not. Right, because they can say, well, they can't decide for themselves or, you know, whatever. So they decide for you that your your life isn't worth living or that your suffering has no meaning. Mm Mm-hmm. Right, so so, you know, we're we're just going to make the call. You you bring nothing to society, so we're done with you. And this is a fear of a lot of a lot of people, particularly the elderly people, in, in regards to this specific issue. Yeah, uh, which is crazy. There there are like um, six states at least that have legalized it. Uh, Colorado, the most the most recent, but California, Colorado, Oregon, Vermont, Washington, and a little bit in, in Montana. Uh, and and this is this is sort of a growing trend. Yeah, very disturbing. And I mean, those are big states. California. I mean, it's a lot of people um, affected by this. Yeah, yeah. It's almost like where you can uh, legalize marijuana. <laughs> you know, you can also assist in in killing someone. Well, and maybe the same logic, right? Like trying to avoid pain and suffering as much as possible in life. But, but like what you said earlier is very profound. I think taking meaning out of suffering. Right. It's kind of like the opposite of the Christian message. Right. We don't run from suffering, but we, we find the meaning in it. Right, and I think for Christians who are listening to the show or anybody who's listening to the show, there's, there's a lot of times we want to have empathy for someone who's suffering. And I've even had people say, well, isn't it better for them to die because they won't suffer? 
and certainly, um, you know, we, we can we can see how how um, that's the case, or or we can feel for someone who's suffering. But that is the opposite of the Christian message that that uh, that suffering has no meaning, that our life has no meaning, um, and, and that ultimately that Christ on the cross has no meaning, right? And so we believe, um, as God believes, that that life from conception till natural death is of utmost importance to society, to life, to, to us, to the world, to human dignity. Yeah, and I, I think we should all remember the words of Mother Teresa and others that said, you know, when you allow abortion, when you kill your own young, it will lead to a complete disregard for life, starting with the fringes. And I think the elderly and the disabled, who are most affected by this law, um, you know, they were right. Yep. Like this is this is where the culture of death heads, and it's unfortunately it's picking up steam in this direction. Right. Absolutely. So and so anyway, you know, uh, my mantra uh, this year is that everyone's important, and you know, if we could serve other people by loving other people, I think we could change the world. And and I love highlighting positive things because I think when you look at on the news, there's there's nothing but negative things. And not to bring this up, but this was a cool story over the holidays, so I will bring it up. Um, <laughs> Santa Claus uh, <laughs> actually was listening to a kid's um, like request for gifts, like at the mall or something. Yeah. Okay. And uh, so the kid asked, you know, for, for like something with with his parents' house was foreclosed, and so Santa, uh, the guy dressed Santa went and bought the house and foreclosure didn't tell the family and for Christmas gave the house back to them. For real? Yeah. Oh my goodness. Yeah, how generous is that? I mean, it's a guy that didn't know the family, didn't know anything. Um <clears throat> apparently he, you know, he had Santa's loaded, man. <laughs> apparently I didn't know mall Santas were so uh, you know, well off. M- maybe they just like to volunteer. I, I don't I have no idea, but I love stories like that. Yeah. And you know, we, we, you and I can't buy houses for people, and most people listening can't. But some people can. I, mm-hmm. I don't know. It does. The, the bigness isn't uh, the case. It, it's it's loving people in the small ways of what we can do for people, uh, showing that everyone has dignity and need. And I think that we pass up people every day in life who we could probably stop, talk to, smile, give something to, hug, uh, say something positive, uh, do something for them. Right. Yeah, it seems easier to drop, say, twenty dollars for a mission across the world to feed somebody we'll never meet. Yeah. But then throughout the day, we have opportunities like that um, that we can meet, yeah. and we feel like we should. And it seems like like the uh, human thing to do to actually respond to that impulse and do it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, a guy asked me for a cigarette yesterday, and I just couldn't help him. <laughs> you didn't have one. I was like, I'm sorry, bro, but I do have a two dollar bill. <laughs> You can buy half a cigarette with that. <laughs> I could give you a $2 bill, man. <laughs> you cannot give what you do not have. You cannot give what you... <laughs> so anyway, um, I- I'm excited for this new year, and uh, thanks for listening to the show. Uh, we got a great guest coming on in the next segment, and uh, lots of good shows uh, this year. So it's the Paul George Show. We'll be right back.
Welcome back to the show. This is Paul George. Great to be with you today. I uh, have a wonderful guest on the show today, Lance Strother, at Lance Strother on Twitter, from Lafayette, Louisiana, my hometown. Lance, how are you doing today? Doing good, Paul. How's it going? Good, man. Thanks for taking the time. Now, you're not in studio, although we do live in the same town, uh, and you're actually my first guest on the show who lives in the same place as me. Wow. I'm privileged. You are privileged. <laughs> actually, I'm more, yeah, I'm, I'm more privileged to have you on the show. Anyway, uh, I'm excited uh, to have you on today. Some fascinating things that I want to talk to you about. And we could talk about a ton of different things, uh, you and I. But, but there's one thing that I want to get to. Um, it's this video that you had on your Facebook page that kind of went viral. And it caught my attention over the holidays. And I was like, I, I got to talk to Lance about this. And, uh, so, so it's this video on your page of you, uh, I don't know the whole backstory. You're going to have to get me into this, but, um, you with a homeless guy in your vehicle and you recorded it. Um, it's a fascinating yeah. conversation. So, so what happened there and what, what kind of spurred this, this whole scene? Well, um, I actually was leaving a meeting with the LSU Greeks, the fraternity and sorority young adults as we were uh, doing a pre-departure meeting for a Dominican Republic mission trip. Okay. I was leaving Baton Rouge, Louisiana, and I'd just come over the big bridge over the Mississippi River. Right. And I uh, had not eaten supper, so it was about 10 p.m., and, and uh, I exited Lobdell, Louisiana. Right. And pulled up to McDonald's, and there in my headlights, leaning up against the wall of the McDonald's under the awning, was a homeless gentleman with his dog. Okay. And I sort of immediately had some skepticism and didn't really want to make eye contact and uh, actually kind of thought through my own safety and, and then recognized shortly thereafter that I didn't really like that instinctive routine, um, but I didn't act on that conviction. I just got out of my vehicle, avoided eye contact, went into the McDonald's, ordered a little meal, and sat down and ate. Right, I think we and, we all uh, we all feel that way at times when we're in a situation like this that that hesitancy, right? Yep, yep. And it's uh, I, I, the the conviction was growing as I was sitting there eating as a, and and I just left a uh, a foreign missions pre departure meeting and there was I didn't like the inconsistency. <laughs> uh, I felt yeah. you know it's yeah, like yeah. I, I can I can serve the the poor in the Dominican Republic, but um, I'm avoiding the poor right here you know, at the McDonald's, you know, 50 miles from my house. Right. Um, so I ate my meal and the gentleman had walked in, uh, and just kind of sat behind me for a little while and, uh, kind of stirred back up my skepticism. I wonder why he's sitting behind me. Then he, he walked out of the McDonald's, uh, before I did. And, and then it was drizzling outside and it was cold. And uh, my plan was just at first, it was just to walk right out the door straight into my truck and, and head out and deal with my own conviction kind of in my own head. But uh, as I walked out, he uh, he yelled out at me, and he said, uh, excuse me, sir, can you can you afford to get me a meal? Hmm. And that kind of sparked it all. Uh, you know, so I turned around and said, yeah, I'd love to get you a meal. Uh, I asked him, what about his dog? Does the dog want a meal? And he said, I'll share my meal with my dog. So I got his meals, gave it to him. And, uh, just as I gave it to him, uh, he looked at me with tears in his eyes and he said, 
I'm losing hope in humanity. Hmm. Um, and man, that just, uh, broke my heart. And it also sent my, my conviction into a high volume resonation, you know, because I had just previously contributed, I think, to why he's losing hope in humanity. Right. As I worked to avoid him, as I didn't want to make eye contact, as I right. judged him without saying anything. Yeah. Uh, and so I, I, that's all I, I went I love into your honesty there, man. Action mode, you know? Yeah. So I sat down with him and, uh, Sat, sat under the awning with him for probably two and a half, three hours. And just, we just shared stories and, and laughed and cried. And, um, I learned how he became homeless. Uh, you know, he, he, he assumed the primary responsibility for his, his tough spot in life. You know, he admitted to addiction, um, but he also admitted, uh, that shortly before I had met him, uh, he was working on a boat offshore trying to make some money and his, uh, his wife, uh, was in a casino and overdosed and died in the casino. Wow. Uh, he got upset on the boat, ended up getting a fight with his boss, got fired, wow. came home to a, a deceased wife, um, no money, no job. And the next thing you know, he's sleeping in a homemade tent, uh, <laughs> down in a Creek behind the Waffle House. Wow, that's crazy. So if you listen in, I'm talking to Lance Strother, uh, at Lance Strother on Twitter. Uh, Lance is a campus minister, teacher, coach, uh, right here in the town that I live in, Lafayette, Louisiana, STM, St. Thomas More High School. Talking about this this story. So so where did it go from there? I mean, it's what is it, like one in the morning? Do you have to call your wife and be like, hey, I'm, yeah, I'm hanging wait, out I, with some I, random I guy or what? I did. I knew that, that wife, Cat, would – feeling worried she, she texted in and i texted back i'm visiting with a homeless man and just hanging out so she was patient with me and prayed for me <laughs> yeah she's probably like yep that's that's lance <laughs> <laughs> the lord for some reason the last six months has uh put me in similar situations that i found myself in with this gentleman whose name was keith by the way and i think it's important to Right. to share his name um, because all of these homeless people have names. And as Keith told me behind some tears that night that he is the son of some parents, he's the father of some children, he uh, he's the widow of a deceased wife, and um, that when people walk by him uh, and ignore him, that uh, it makes him feel like they don't recognize that he's a person. Hmm. Yeah, and, you know, and I'm somebody that uh, leads pro-life marches in Washington D.C. with with young people down here, and, and so that's part of the conviction too. You know, who am I to 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 march up Capitol Hill and and uh, you know with a half a million other people in D.C. Uh, you know, promoting life and uh, trying to promote the dignity of life, but I'm, you know, my instinct is to ignore the beggar uh, yeah. right here at home. I, it's that inconsistency, which I have got to deal with in myself, you know, and let the Lord's grace, mercy heal me, has got to improve. But Keith very much helped me. So we continued to talk, and, and uh, man, he taught me so much uh, that knowing what I do day in and day out and working with young people and young adults and, and parents, I wanted uh, to do a couple of things. Um, I wanted to give this gentleman... Um, the positive feeling of, of employment 
and making money. And I also wanted to ask him if he would be willing to, to impact and bless many, many other people with just his story and his heart and his authenticity. He was so real. Right. Um, and I told him, uh, I'll have the opportunity to share, uh, what you're sharing with me with many other people. Mm. And he, he agreed to do a video, um, where we recapped some of what we had talked about <clears throat> right. and, uh, told him at, at St. Thomas more. And the work that I do, I hire regularly to impact our community, to reach out to the young people, uh, to show us the light of Christ. And I offered to pay a speaker fee to this homeless man who mm. shot this video for us. Uh, and in sharing the video on Facebook, it was a, a little uncomfortable. Right. Um, right. I, I don't, I didn't certainly didn't want it to come across as any kind of self promotion. Uh, but at the same time, my conviction that Keith had a lot to share, uh, and a lot to teach us was greater than that, that fear of, you know, posting this type of video on, on social media. Yeah. And I think that's part of the discernment, but the, the video went viral, at least in, in our terms, and you can see it on Lance's uh, Facebook page. If you know how to pin that to the top, Lance, you can do that. But it's fascinating, uh, the story there, and, and just knowing the person um, and getting to know Keith. I mean, I, I, I think it's phenomenal. And here, here's the other thing is I love how you're co- – because we talk about this on the show is I love how you're connecting all the pieces. You know, how can we be pro-life and march in D.C.? and how can we go to you know Costa Rica or Dominican Republic or wherever and do mission work and yet here right here in front of us right outside our neighborhoods and our streets and and in our own towns there are people who are in need whether that's that's deep spiritual need or or homeless you know like there are people in need and and who is it that Christ is calling to reach those people if it's not us yeah absolutely uh and i have I have passed up too many people in need by passing judgment preemptively uh, on those people. And uh, I think certainly part of my conviction in my journey is, is uh, I've got I've to put my action where my mouth is, um, you know. Absolutely. Keith, Keith was gracious enough and humble enough to give me that opportunity that night. Um, he he uh, he had a lot to teach us, um, and one of the big big things that uh, I have shared since with young people is just the significance of eye contact, hmm. a smile, and saying hello. Right. <laughs> I I don't think it can be overstated. Um, you know, I think of. Uh, I spent a decent bit of time thinking about ministry and how to go about outreach, um, thinking about events and different things. But if we are reaching out to, you know, the people who our formal ministries put are putting in front of us, but we're ignoring, um, the needy, the beggar, uh, that are informally around us, then I think our formal ministries, uh, lack some integrity as well. You know, so, just trying to connect those dots amen to that all right so stick around lance we'll be right back it's paul george show
Welcome back to the Paul George Show, episode 17. We're talking with Lance Struther. Here's Paul. All right, welcome back to the show. It's Paul George. Great to be with you. I have Lance Strother as our guest today. Lance, it's been great talking to you. It's at Lance Strother on Twitter, Facebook, Lance Strother, uh, right here in Lafayette, Louisiana. Lance, you wear uh, many different hats. Um, you're, you're a teacher, coach, campus minister, singer, songwriter. I mean, you do a slew of, of different things. But uh, I kind of want to shift gears here because one of the things that you do that, that um, I, I love is – you're a campus minister and teacher at St. Thomas More High School. You work with young people, but you're also a football coach. I am. Very yeah. passionate about it. Love it. Yeah, so you're a former college football player. You, you actually played at St. Thomas More, and, and then you ended up coming back home and, and teaching and coaching there and making an impact at the school. Um, and you guys won your first state championship, 4A state championship this year. First ever. It was sweet. We yeah. – uh, we finally pulled it off for our, our old coach. He was my coach back in the day. Uh, he is uh, a heck of a leader. It was sweet to get him that, that, that championship. That's, that's awesome. <laughs> and uh, I, I'm excited for you guys. But anyway, you know, the championship, that, that's sort of the, the apex of what people think. But that's really not why you do what you do. Um, when it's all said and done, you – you know, it, it's all about the day-to-day relationships you have with the kids. How do you use the platform of sports to connect faith with them as a campus minister? Well, man, I appreciate that question because it's a, it's a very important uh, point and topic to me. Um, there is a very unique uh, responsibility that comes with the title coach. I think um, similar to uh, the title doctor has its own responsibility. Priest has its, its responsibility. Um, coach should never be taken lightly. And to answer your question, uh, in connecting the bigger picture to, to what I do in football, young men uh, have a tendency to give uh, a lot of, uh, you know, they, they look to their coaches somebody with authority. Right. Uh, in, many, in many cases, a, a, a young man, uh, his ears may be turned off to his parents. Uh, he may not be listening very well in school or to some of his other authority figures in his life, but uh, he's all ears to his coach. Right. Um, and that leaves us with a huge responsibility. So hmm. uh, I absolutely love the game. I'm, I'm a receivers coach, and that's, that's what I played. It's a big-time passion of mine. But I can see the eyes of my players day in and day out and the way that they, they look to me uh, as their leader. And for me to have that platform and only teach them football mm. uh, would be a gross negligence of that gift to me as a coach. Um, so on the other hand, when they look at me with, with all ears and all heart and they're really, you know, willing to run through a brick wall for you um, – for that football, uh, to be able to share Christ with them, uh, and to be able to connect the game, uh, to our faith is just an absolute passion of mine. As a receivers coach, I'm teaching kids to overcome their fears, um, to study their playbook, uh, to find the courage within themselves, um, to run across the middle with 11 defenders that are trying to, you know, take your head off. (laughs) And, And all the while, focus 
on a ball that's coming to you and learn how to best receive it. You know, and so parallels like, hey, find the courage in your faith life to navigate the opponents that are out there and to do your very best to receive and focus on hmm. Christ who's coming at you. Uh, so the parallels are, are just uh, all over the place, and it's it's big passion of mine. Yeah, I, I think that's fascinating uuh, to me because y- you're right, like people can have a title um, and but they can use that title for anything. And I've known many coaches who are just a coach. You know, they're just there to coach football or basketball to the men and women at their school or university, whatever. Uh, but the coaches that make the most impact are those who do it uh, with a deeper purpose and meaning. And to be able to connect life and faith to the sport is essential because you know as well as I do that eventually one day you'll never play again. Like the sport's going to end for you at some point, right? Absolutely. Sometimes sooner than they think. Yeah, much sooner. Uh, um, Yeah, we we, we deal with that every year. Uh, Guys with these massive dreams and uh, dreams to play college football and they, they work so, so hard. They sacrifice so much uh, for that dream, and one way or the other, it's coming to a relatively quick end. Right. Yeah, and and if they don't have the foundation uh, to live life the, the the way that God created them to live past the sport, then then really, what have have you done for them as a coach? And I think that's what you're trying to do on the day to day by teaching them faith, right? Absolutely. I think the sport of football can be uh, a very vain pursuit or it can be exact. It can be totally opposite. It can be the absolute best, most profound classroom for our Christian faith and for life. Um, It will, it can, if you go about it the wrong way, you know, you beat your own chest. If you go about it the right way, you glorify God. Wow. You build his kingdom. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm talking to Lance Strother, our guest, Lafayette, Louisiana, um, teacher, coach, campus minister, singer-songwriter, St. Thomas More High School, uh, a good friend of mine. Lance, uh, just kind of shifting gears here, one of the things that you do um, that, that I love as a campus minister there is you started this trip um, <clears throat> that you take uh, your high school kids on called 10,000 Feet. Uh, what, what, what's 10,000 Feet and why, why this trip? 10,000 feet is a, what we call a summer faith adventure trip. And, uh, we offer this trip to, to our young people, um, because there's, uh, a growing need for that unique, um, peace and silence of nature Hmm. against a very fast paced world. That's got more and more distractions. And so we, we, we designed it, uh, in a way where we kind of leave the cell phones behind. Right. Um, we, we leave a bunch of distractions behind. We get out off the grid at 10,000 feet elevation in Colorado. When we, when we built the trip, we, we made it a point. We tried to find the most beautiful spot in the country to go to right. and to let the beauty of nature help transform our hearts and, mm. and see, you know, see God. And, uh, it's, it's a blast. You know, we want water raft. We, we, scale cliffs we summit a mountain peak uh we do ropes courses and, and different adventures and then in the evenings we process that uh in in the context of our faith life so literally so we, literally you're at ten thousand feet we literally 
our, our base camp is at 10,000 feet. Uh, we summit at 12,400 feet uh, at one point, and then at another point, we're down in a canyon at lower elevation. Wow. I love that. I, you're like really gifted in, in taking the elements around you, whether it be the football field, uh, the classroom, or 10,000 feet on a mountain, and using those elements to tie in faith and life. How do you do that when you're at 10,000 feet? Like, what's like your main sort of crux of what you're trying to get across? Well, every single day, because of the adventures that the nature is affording us, uh, whether it's climbing a cliff, um, you know, falling out of a rafting boat and, and into the frigid water, or, uh, you know, standing at, up at 12,400 feet with a 360 degree panoramic view, the process of those adventures every single one of them by design bring each of us to this critical moment where we are either going to panic and freeze in fear, or we are going to act in courage and we're going to trust our belayer who's got our, our life in their hands as we're sitting in a harness, uh, or we're going to trust the guide of the raft and so forth and so on. And then, um, so a big crux of our experience is uh, looking at that and realizing that every single day when we are doing our very best to grow in our relationship with Christ, we are facing acute moments of either fear or faith. And, um, you know, we, to grow into a deep relationship with Jesus, we've got to, we've got to choose that, uh, that courageous option yeah. uh, and not give into that fear. Absolutely. Talking to Lance Strother. Uh, I, I mean, I, I love the design of this trip because I think in today's time more than ever, you know, if, if you and I grew up a hundred years ago, you know, things were a little bit quieter, technology, all, all those things. Uh, but in today's day and time, kids grow up, we're, we're surrounded by all this technology, all this noise. And to get away from that, to retreat away into the silence, in, into nature, and connect with God, I mean, that's part of the element right there, isn't it? Absolutely. There's uh, several moments on the 10,000 feet trip, one of which every, you know, we'll take 70 young people out there and they will all be sitting on a mountainside. We invite them to go and find their sacred space, get away from their friends, get, get into some alone space and sit with God for a significant amount of time in silence. Hmm. And the visual of that is so countercultural. Uh, it, it's, I like to tell people the visual of those young people sitting on that mountainside in silence with the Lord is more beautiful than the view from the very top of the mountain peak. Wow. It's, it's, and, and it's a profound time for them. It's one of the first times they actually listen. And the young people are so grateful to get away from their phones. It yeah. takes them two or three days. Right. But at the end of the trip, they're, they're thanking us for the disconnect. Yeah. It's like detox, man. You know, we need a yep. detox and then enter into God's grace and God's nature. So from, from being with the homeless to, you know, Dominican Republic to the football field to the top of a mountain at 10,000 feet. Lance, <laughs> you do it all, man, and God's using you. I can't thank you enough for, for what you do and for serving the thank Lord. I appreciate it, man, and I appreciate your brotherhood, and uh, thanks for, for letting me join you today. Absolutely. We'll do it again, man. Uh, Lance Strother, um, thanks, bro. I'll talk to you again. You got it. Have a good one.
to the show it's paul george in studio with adam conk hey hey you've been quiet over there we had a fascinating soaking interview it in. soaking it in with uh lance straw it was good to have him on i mean it, he's really doing good work and and My i goodness. love uh how it connected all the dots in particular we were talking in the first segment about um assisted suicide and, and loving yeah. people and reaching out and then lance comes on talking about these fascinating stories of homeless and and then working with the kids in his school and, and all the stuff that, that he's doing, it really challenges me uh, to a call to action and, and, to, and to, you know, to not sit back on my loins. Yeah, I mean, that, that, that's an example of a man who's using his talents, right? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. it was like reading the catechism of all these different things you could be doing. Right. He, he's doing them. But I love his inspiring. honesty too, like yeah. his hesitancy in it. And I think that's what we all need to acknowledge is that we all are going to have some hesitancy in taking the leap or jumping. And certainly we need to use prudence when we're maybe reaching out to someone we don't know. It could be a dangerous situation. So obviously use prudence, but just that hesitancy we all sort of have to get out of our comfort zones. Right. But, mm-hmm. but Christ calls us to move out. And, and, and that's exactly where we find the most you know, true joy and peace in our life is when we're we're loving and serving uh, others. So anyway, Adam, uh, how about we go into a six-pack of questions? All right, Paul, I got some doozies for you today. Okay. Question number one, Lance talked about going to McDonald's and eating supper by himself, yeah. waiting for his encounter with Keith. How often do you eat alone? <laughs> 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 well, okay, so there, there. here's what I found out. There are people who cannot eat alone, uh-huh. and there are people who are fine with it. Like, there are people who are like, I, I just can't go to lunch by myself. This right. is just weird and awkward. I, I like to have lunch with people, a friend, and catch up, but I don't mind every now and then going to lunch by myself, sitting there, eating, reading a book, or something like that. I don't mind it. Nice. It's so like once a week, once a month? Um... Well, there's sometimes I just have, I like bring my lunch or lunch at home. So I'm eating mm-hmm. by myself or whatever, you nice. know, so, but like out to lunch, maybe once a month by myself. Nice. And you don't mind it. I don't mind it. Now, if I did it every day, I'd probably start feeling sorry for myself, <laughs> honestly. <laughs> yeah. All right. Question number two. And you might have to go back in your memory here. Okay. Right. When was the first time you realized that homeless people existed mm-hmm. and how did you react to that idea? Hmm. Yeah, I think I was a kid and I was walking in downtown New Orleans mm-hmm. and uh, I was sort of taken back because I grew up in a small town. There were no homeless people. There were poor people, certainly, but, but no one was really homeless that you really knew about. So this that was the first time that I started kind of thinking, questioning, I was kind of taken back by it. Uh, but I, I really wasn't uh, moved in, until, you know, certainly after I began to realize that, that homeless people are people and, uh, and, uh, Christ sort of moved me to, to at least talk to those people and reach, reach out to those people. So, so yeah, it was at a young age, but I wouldn't say until I was a young adult that I actually did anything about it. Mm. All right. Number three is related. So you've been in a lot of cities. Yeah. And because of that, you've seen many homeless people right. who live in cities. Lance said he learned a lot from Keith. Mm-hmm. What have you learned from the homeless as, you, as you've traveled? Well, there, there was one guy in, in my hometown, that I, in a town that I lived in, who 
I would visit with once a week. I'd bring him lunch and then we would go to lunch. Mm. And that was awkward because people, I would go to lunch with a homeless guy in a regular restaurant and people would look at us and stuff like that. But we, I didn't really care. Um, but he and I would talk and sort of like Lance, I, I got to know the life of this guy named Joe. And um, it was interesting because he said to me, he says, I never intended to be homeless. And it really gave me insight. It's like no one grows up thinking I want to be homeless. No one thinks about that. Everyone grows up uh, with the same intentions that God put in their heart to do good things, to have a good life. And when 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 Joe was in elementary school and when I was in elementary school, we're probably having the same thoughts about life down mm -hmm. the road, right? Yeah. And then one day he's homeless and I'm not. And like what caused that like his intentions were never there and and that's when the, the lesson for me is that everyone's intentions i think are good deep down um but our paths certainly take different turns one by choices we make and certainly maybe by other circumstances that happen to us and you know we, we should still love those people and try to help them get get back on track if we can awesome all right, number four. You mentioned that Lance is a singer-songwriter. Yeah. Have you ever written a song? I have. Yeah. And what was it about? <laughs> um, it's a song called Wonderful to Me. It's, really? Yeah, it's published by Oregon Catholic Press. It's on... Uh, Are you kidding right now? No. It's, it's on a guy named Matt Marr's first album. You wrote that? You can look it up. Did you really? It's, it's a horrible song. <laughs> I literally probably get get paid... Uh, a dollar and twenty nine cents a year in royalties. Kind of like Grandma sucks. Yeah, yeah. So that would just show you how good it is. <laughs> so like, if you wanted to know, can you sing a little bit? Uh, I forgot the tune. I don't sing, <laughs> and I, I don't really songwrite, but I did. You did that time. Yeah, check that off the bucket list. I think I might have two songs, <gasps> but I can't remember them. Like that's how that's how long ago it was. <laughs> Well, I have, I have some homework to do now. Look that up. Yeah, look it up. Oh, yeah. Next show. Yeah, we can it's play it. the soundtrack. It. <laughs> we can play it. But Matt Marr did the, the singing? Yeah, I mean, okay. he wrote, like, he did the singing and then wrote, yeah. like, all the music to it and wrote most of the words to it. I think I added, like, <laughs> he a... He let you co-write, maybe? <laughs> it was a co-write. It was a co-write. I wrote, like, a the and an and and maybe wonderful. Nice. Well, I mean, that is the main word. Yeah. <laughs> Right. Yeah, but, but compared to where like Matt Marr is now and his songs, I mean, it's, it's like not even in the ball game. And <laughs> but you could say you helped him get him get his start. Uh, I, I, <laughs> I love him. I just I don't know if I was much of a help, at least on the musical end. May, maybe as a friend, but yeah, not yeah. not anything else. All right, so uh, y'all talked about sport and faith, and Lance coaches football, right? You're familiar with football and also baseball. You play a lot of sport. Football. Football. Um, what sport have you tried, but you really just stunk at it? Okay. Well, um, there's one that I haven't tried fully, but I tried partly. Does that make any sense? Sure. Hockey. And you, and you just Well, I tried to skate. It? Ice skate oh. <laughs> without a stick. And it didn't go well. It didn't go well. And for a guy who was raised in, in Louisiana, ice skating is not something you do all the time. <laughs> And so I, I figured hockey's probably not going to be my thing. It's probably just not going to be my thing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, so I didn't try it all the way, but I knew if I did, I'd probably fail at it. 
fantastic. But knowing me, I probably would have kept at it and uh, broken something. Yeah. Broken. Records, right? Yeah, Scoring or, records. Our legs, oh. our arms <laughs> of other people. <laughs> All right. Um, Lance talked about on the 10,000 feet trip, which sounds awesome, by the way. My goodness. I know. Um, don't you want to go on that yeah. trip? Yeah, I want to go back to high school. And or I have an idea. You could chaperone. <gasps> you think he would let me? Yeah. It's probably a like stringent application process. No, but you could like record like the talks. Like you could do some like you can you can do a remote ten thousand foot podcast. Yes. Oh my goodness. Let's do it. All right. So we talked about the sense of having someone's life in your hands. We're talking about the bullyers, right? They have your life in your hands. Yeah. Have you ever saved someone's life? Have you ever rock climbed? Yes, like at the like at a indoor facility. Let me answer that by asking you this. <laughs> <laughs> uh, have you ever belayed? Yes. Okay, so like at an indoor thing. Right, indoor right. thing. Yeah, it's sort of this responsibility. I've never rock climbed like on a mountain. I, I am not a fan of heights. Although Is I've, that right? I've been on top of a mountain. I, I fly. I've been on a, you know, things like that. Uh, it, I just would not like to hang from the side of a mountain. Just not my thing. Yeah. Uh, that that seemed like a natural thing to do. I, I did save someone's life, actually. How did this happen? Uh, twice. At least twice that I know. Wow. Yeah. Uh, I saved a girl from drowning. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. That was fascinating. When you were younger? Or? I was in high school. Yeah, I was teaching swimming lessons, and this girl went down to the bottom of the pool, almost drowned me and her at the same time. Um, I'm not bitter. Anyway, <laughs> um, anyway, so I, I saved her life. My goodness. I mean... So I've never been in that situation. I've never right. say well, I mean kids. Kids count, I guess. But yeah. other than my own children, yeah. I've never saved well, I mean what what did you learn from that movie? How did it affect you? I, what here's what I learned, like if you see something just just react. I it's just instinct. Do you see this article, this like two year old kid who picked up the dresser that fell on his brother? Yes, I did. Like his instinct just picked up this dresser. Or was he four? Or, I can't remember. Oh, you looked two or younger. Two or younger, yeah. He like he picked up the dresser so his little little bitty brother could get yeah. out from under it. I don't know, just react. Like this one one time, like this guy was going to stab another guy, and I just reacted to distract the guy from stabbing him and then, like, you know, call the cops, and, like, it just kept the whole thing. So anyway, I'm not telling you to jump into a fire, but at the same time, like, yeah, it just kind of happens. Fascinating. Well, there you go. Six-pack of questions, Paul. That That's the well six-pack of questions. You've been six-packed. Those are pretty good. Like, you, you, you had me... You had me at hello. Thanks. I tried to. <laughs> uh, all right. So, Adam, so your mantra this year. Hakuna Matata. Hakuna Matata. Uh, what's that mean again? No worries. No worries. Did you not see The Lion King, sir? The Lion King came out a long time ago, Adam. Don't date yourself, Paul. Too bad. <clears throat> but that was a good movie. Yeah. Well, it changed my life, apparently, because I'm going to tattoo Hakuna Matata. Yeah, that's your tat verse. Yeah. And what's yours again? So anyway, mine is whoever's in Christ is in new creation. The okay. old has passed away. Behold, new things have come. Second Corinthians 2.17. Much more noble than Hakuna Matata. Yeah. So what I, I want to encourage people is have a mantra for your life, for your heart, and for this year. Don't get it tattooed, but tattoo it on your heart. Something that you'll live by that, that God can just move uh, you forward in your life this year in a real way. So thanks for listening. It's the Paul George Show. Be back next week. God bless.